right. So we were just talking off air about being world number one in rugby. So let's start there. Like, how does that feel? Well, you know, it's it's one of those things, Justin. It um, it feels great, but you know, you have to you have to continue to put in the effort. You, you, you know, it's it's easy. Well, it's not easy, but I'd say it's easier to get to uh, to the summit. Uh, it's much harder to stay there. And so, Ooh. for Irish rugby now, we're we're looking at uh, consistency of success. And with a World Cup uh, coming down the pipe this summer. We've never medaled. We've, I mean, we've never been top three in the World Cup. There's huge things in front of us. So it's great. feels good, but more work to be done, as is life, though. For anybody, uh, we have a, a big American audience here. So for any fellow Americans listening out there, like, all right, what, I mean, if you're world number one and then World Cup coming up, shouldn't it be not smooth sailing, but like, hey, should be putting you in a pretty good position and What's like? What's the difference with World Cup? Because again, I'm getting better at it, but I'm yeah. still not as good at rugby as Nando and you are. Well, well, okay. So most people, especially with some recent books, uh, their their entry they're not from a rugby country into rugby is when you say the All Blacks, most yep. people nod their heads. And, yeah, oh yeah, I know the All Blacks mindset, <laughs> what they're doing. I got that. Okay, so right, so now we're getting closer. Um, so All Blacks. Uh, South Africa, England, France, Scotland, Wales, Australia, Argentina, right? Ireland. These are, these are these are these are some of those major players in in rugby, and the world has been chasing uh, the All Blacks for a long time. And whether you look at in recent years, you know the Patriots, or when I grew up, the San Francisco 49ers or the Cowboys, right? They are the dynasty team, the team everyone is chasing from a, a world rugby, international rugby perspective. And so Ireland right now is, is in a position to start um, contesting, let's say, that, that world number one. And so a lot of things have to happen. One, you got, you got to beat really good teams. You know? So we've done some pretty cool things. Ireland went down to New Zealand for the first time in what's called a summer series and beat New Zealand two out of three games oh, in wow. New Zealand. And yes. Justin, and as Fernando knows, as a rugby guy, that's not easy to do. So that was a first for Irish rugby, um, and it was phenomenal. We then came back home, and we since were successful against teams like South Africa, right? Really big team. Team like France, really big team. Uh, recently, we just won a Grand Slam, which basically means we beat uh, Italy, Scotland, Wales, France, and England all out to be, so to speak, the Northern Hemisphere Grand Champions. We did that, and our under-20s did that. And so we're, we're currently in a position now stepping into a World Cup, which happens every four years, like any World Cup, and it is the premier competition for rugby, for international rugby teams. It's the big show. It's the Olympics of Rugby 15, so to speak. And Ireland has never gotten out of a quarterfinal. And so we are in a position to continue to build on this momentum and hopefully um, put that behind us and make a bit more history. But as we said off air, as is life and sport, there is still a lot between us and that goal. So how, like, again, for anybody that's, okay, how do you, what's the process then? What, what, what have you been doing for our teams that, like, okay, that resonates with them? They're like, yeah, we're trying to be the, you know, we're, we're up and coming. We're, we're, we're doing that too. Like, what's kind of some of the mindset that you talked yeah. about, but also some of the processes? Well, Justin, so... So this is interesting. Fernando will know this. Um, rugby is the fourth most popular sport in Ireland. 
let's just start there, okay? So it sits behind football, soccer, as we say in this part of the world. In your part of the world, football, as they say over here, and Gaelic sports, which are Gaelic football, their own on-island version, and, and camogie, uh, uh, hurling, which is basically a sport played with a very old sport with a stick and a ball. And so rugby falls fourth behind that. So already we have a small population, under 6 million people on the island, fourth most popular sport. And so for us, like any small country competing in any sport, let alone rugby, we have to get the most out of everything we have from an athlete development perspective. And so as the, as the head of athletic performance, my role is to ensure uh, alongside my colleagues that not only are we preparing our national team, right? That's the pointy end of the spear, but we have four professional teams that play in their own competition, similar to the NFL or the NBA or Premier League soccer. So they have a full 11 month season. And then under those four teams are academies and pathway feeder systems. We're a small enough nation where my role sits across all of those areas with about 35 staff members across those four respective teams and national squads. And so you have myself, you have someone in a physio role, someone in a sports psych, someone in nutrition, someone in the medical side, someone in the rugby side, so on and so forth. And we basically are a team of teams. And what we have looked at as our strategic advantage is we're big enough to win, but we're small enough to manage. And so therefore, when we get an idea on, hey, we can do this practice in the weight room better, or we think we can chase this conditioning approach on the pitch, on the field better, or we think we can introduce this new methodology for return to perform or injury risk reduction, we can, in a matter of one phone call or a two hour drive down the road, get everybody on the same page, democratically bash out the ideas, go to service providers, whether it be software, tech, what have you, and go as a nation rather than individual teams. Wow. And ultimately, we talk about our point of difference or our green edge being the power of four in that we can learn four times as quickly because we have four teams that while they are competitors against each other, they recognize that they're a community of competitors and they have far more to learn from one another than they do to take from one another. Ego does not exist. Silver bullets have been turned off, right? And we're all in the business of how do we share ideas? And ultimately, any coach worth their salt, and Justin and Fernando, you know this, any coach worth their salt will say, here's my program. Here's everything I do. Here's my science. <laughs> they know the magic happens at the point of contact. The magic is the space between me and the person in front of me. And that you can't take away from anybody. And so we're attacking it from every which way, but I think the biggest thing is ego is gone. Democracy is high. Best practice is best practice. It's not about the best person. And ultimately, we can share ideas much faster and accelerate their implementation than our competitors. And I think that is one of the reasons Ireland is punching well above its weight against all statistical odds. Like, hearing you say all that, how do you... Me personally, hearing that, like, how do you manage all of that and stay sane? Like, it just sounds overwhelming, honestly. It can be. And when I arrived here in 2016, it was overwhelming. I mean, I'm literally driving to Leinster, 
to Munster, to Connacht, to Ulster. For those in the States, those are our four states. Those are our four provinces. And there's one professional rugby team in each of those. That's how most sports work over here in Europe. And I'm talking to the professional side, the academy, the pathway across disciplines. I'm coming from a different culture. I'm an American. I'm coming from a different sport background, NFL and elite military. Never even worked in rugby. So was it overwhelming? Absolutely. But for me, I just took a very systematic approach and said, I'm here to help us get better. All of you are the spokes doing your job every single day to the best of your ability. I'm simply going to facilitate being the hub that brings all that greatness together, that allows any idea happening in one place to benefit all places. And if you go to Vegas and you get three to one odds, you're going to take them. And that's exactly what we've built. Because anytime one province shares, there's three other provinces that can be sharing right back at them. So your return on investment to be open and engaging with your colleagues that are also competitors is far greater than keeping everything to yourself. And ultimately, people that didn't align with that inevitably made their way out of the system because there's just no room for ego. It got squeezed out. Yeah, like, how long did it take people to get on board with that, right? You said you got there in 16, did it, like? Uh, for at least four years. I would say the systems that now align all of those many entities horizontally and vertically took easily four to five years to implement. And don't get me wrong, there was low-hanging fruit that we attacked along the way. One of the first things we did was bring in a lot of professional development. A lot of professional development means we were priming the pump. We were putting good ideas into the ecosystem and we were seeing what's working, what's sticking, where are we getting benefit, where are we getting adaptation. And then all along, as we found things that seemed to work for us, we then tried to turn them into systems. And so, for example, I'll give you two examples here. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. Every single step, every single step that our players take on the field, on the pitch, as measured by that little unit on the back of their shoulder blade, the GPS unit, Every single player who's contracted with us from roughly 19 years old all the way up to our senior international players wears one of those. And so that means there is not a single training session, whether it be sprinting, conditioning, or rugby, that we're not measuring. And every one of those teams uses the same hardware, uses the same labeling nomenclature in terms of how they actually cut and call what happens in a session. Awesome. All of those teams have agreed to the same standards. How much should we do? When should we do it? Agreed to where there should be autonomy, where there should be consistency. And that happens across everything we do on the field. We've mirrored that exact same behavior in the weight room. Every single rep, set, and exercise is collected in real time every single day across every single one of those levels. And ultimately what we have done is we've taken all of that intelligence across five different entities and we've pumped it through a centralized sports science system that we feed back. And on a quarterly basis, all of these teams have agreed to have their data in aggregate, respecting the anonymity of the players, presented back to the whole group. So you get to see as percentages, for example, 
What percent of your players are in the national standard for strength? What percentage of your training weeks are you in the national standard? And by national, I don't just mean the international national team. I mean us as a nation is how we use the word national standard, performance standard. And we utilize that to drive everything forward. And as I like to tell the team or share with the team, either the standard is wrong or you're wrong because both aren't wrong. And so we're either changing our methodology to achieve the standard or we're adjusting the standard because we are over or underreaching. And people have bought into that because we live it, we breathe it, and we give feedback on it on a daily basis. I mean, there is nowhere to hide. And the way I analogize it is this. When you learn to ride a bike, your best and worst friend is gravity, right? Because gravity is going to let you know pretty quickly whether or not you're successful. Justin, we're trying to create gravity here on human performance. Hearing you say that made me think, okay, for our listeners living in the States, if they're a high performance manager and they don't have the different setup you do, how could they take what you're doing and apply it to all the different teams within their department, respecting the fact that the different sport coaches might want to do things their own way? How would you unify a department in uh, giving people that advice now here? So there's something that I like to say when it comes to strength and conditioning. Um, a question I always ask, and it was one of the first questions I asked when I got to Ireland. I said, what does our sport need to be successful, but in playing it, does not develop it? Mm. So for example, does rugby make you stronger in absolute terms? No. I mean, certainly if you're a kid playing any sport, you'll get stronger, but that's because of development, not because of the sport itself. Uh, will playing your sport by its very nature make you faster? Will playing your sport by its nature help you with uh, symmetry, mobility, and all the other underpinning physical characteristics structurally needed, let's say, to make a tackle effectively? The answer for the vast majority of those is no, 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 no. And so if we continue to ask ourselves, what does our sport need but not develop? that clearly starts to give us a structure across medical, nutrition, psych, S and C to build out a program and also in building out that program, ask ourselves what data do we need to collect to inform those critical performance areas, both that relate to rugby directly and relate in our world to rugby indirectly, such as a Nordic score or a CMJ, or a strength score. It by itself is not gonna tell me how good you are on the field, but as a bandwidth, I'm gonna know if you're not at a certain threshold, you're gonna to struggle to be physically capable to deal with the physical demands of the sport. And so, as you start to chip away at that, you start to build intelligence, you start to build information, and all of that information then is anchored to your methodology that is meant to use that information to make the player better. And so we kind of went information source by information source, building systems. Uh, sometimes that was purchasing a software. Sometimes that was developing a protocol. Sometimes that was just improving our meetings, right? A system can happen in many different facets, but we went information source by information source. And ultimately, in my role as kind of a hub facilitator, I say that my job is to help people get the right information at the right time 
in the right way at the speed of decision making. And that last piece is the key. Justin, so often in sport, we are working in delay. We are working in retrospect. Mm. Okay, I just got done with a three month block. Now let me review what we did. Oh my goodness, we didn't get as strong as we needed to. Okay, let's try this new thing and check back again in three months. Okay, well, if what you've implemented as an adjustment to your strength program works, happy days. You get to find out in three months. We said for us, that's not good enough. We want to build a system that, like gravity on a kid learning to ride a bike, is as instant and instantaneous as humanly possible. And with technology out there nowadays for things like tracking in the weight room and tracking on court or tracking on the field, you can do that. And it's far simpler to do it with one team, let alone scaling it across five entities. And so it absolutely can be done. And then from there, you know, you ask, you alluded to interdisciplinary teamwork. Your interdisciplinary team needs to have a shared vision. It needs to have a shared goal. It needs to have a shared mental model to understand the, the interrelationship of how everyone's going to work. But I'll be honest with you, that for me is the final frontier and it's endless because you can have all the systems and all the tech you want in place. But the power of relationship needs constant feeding, nurturing, and watering. It is an endless endeavor. And so I feel the greatest organizations get all these process procedures. They put the construct, the system, the blueprint in place. But I like this idea of flexibility within blueprint, flexibility within contract, construct. And that flexibility comes to how we as humans interact, problem solve, and deal with the stuff that we can't collect data on deal with the stuff that no one piece of information can give us the answer to, where our subject matter expertise and colliding insight generation needs to work together to get us to the next best step. And I'll be honest, even as an organization doing as well as we are outwardly, that's the area that we all agree inwardly is an area of constant growth and nurturing. You cannot stop relating to people. It's not done and dusted like a system, like a document. It takes constant work. And that's what organizations can't forget. It never stops. For a, an analogy or a way that I like to phrase your job and your role is you're essentially a translator, no? Like you're making sure that the sport coaches speak strength coach and strength coaches speak sport coach and then athletic train like, right? Is that a, no, is that, does yeah, that make sense absolutely. when I'm saying it? Or are you like, yeah, no, not really. No, it, it does, because let's say, let, let's say tomorrow I was drop-shipped into an NFL team as the, as the director of performance for that team. The very first thing I'm going to do is sit down with all of our uh, football coaches, and I'm going to understand exactly how we want to play this game at a tactical, at a technical level, what they define as success on the field. And then we are going to reverse engineer that in terms of how we are going to develop that physical asset physically and mentally to be prepared for that. And then I'm going to retranslate those efforts, that methodology in terms of what those coaches are seeing on the field and in the weight room back to them on how it's going to relate to those success KPIs, key performance indicators that they've defined. And so you're absolutely right. It's a constant translation out and inward. And someone in the, the type of role I am or the type of role I'm in at a team level is very much so at the center of that translatory process. Yeah, and like I said, like how have how have you been able to maintain your different touch points and your different uh, 
relationships because you know hearing you say that makes me think back to a book i read where i talked about like look you can really only lead four to six people outside of that you need to have great relationships with them and then they lead their people and whatnot how do you go about leading your first team your most core competent people and then let that trickle down to their subordinates and then how do you interact with their subordinates because we do have a lot of high performance managers and uh you know assistant athletic directors that listen because that position starting to grow here in the states so we, very early on, we developed an athletic performance leadership group. In fact, it's been, from a hiring perspective, it's one of the most valuable assets we have when someone joins Irish Rugby. Because they know that when they come on board, they're not going to be, so to speak, on an island in their team. And leadership's a lonely place, Justin. Anyone who's in a leadership role knows that. And the higher you rise in any organization, sport, business, or life, the harder it is to get authentic, real, genuine feedback around your performance. And so we have tried to create uh, a system that allows for that as best as possible. And so fortnightly, for my American friends, that's every two weeks, our athletic performance leadership group gets on a Zoom call or Teams call. That includes the four heads of athletic performance, one from each province. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. That includes our heads of athletic performance for men's and women's sevens, men's and women's fifteens, and then our chief sports scientist and data scientist. We all get on a call every two weeks, um, of which we try every three months to have that face-to-face -face for an all-day powwow and a dinner. And that is the group that is responsible for constantly checking in on our systems, creating a safe forum for people to share uh, issues they might be having with staff or problem solving that they're having with a coach um, or let's say some other colleague or also share what's been really working within their system. So we have a communication forum that meets frequently enough for us to rapidly problem solve at both system and individual level uh, problems or, or needed solutions. In doing that, that creates a forum to nurture those relationships so that they pick up the phone and call each other now of their own accord when they have a question. Hey, Tom, I saw you doing that. You were talking about that thing in the call the other day. Hey, we're struggling with that. How do you think we can get better there? And so that starts to naturally happen. Then when they play each other, they get a coffee before the game begins, or maybe they go out to dinner. And so those relationships organically emerge. Now you're right, Justin, each of those heads of athletic performance at the provincial level can have you know four, if not six other staff members underneath them. And so they are the trusted uh, go-to conduit by which any information management or review occurs to that broader group. But at the same time, I have our heads of the academy and our leads in the pathway, right? That's kind of for like the high school kids or kids just graduating high school. They meet on a monthly basis. And as it just so happens, I'm bringing all of them in next week and we're spending an entire day together to look at our under 20 squad, to look at our development protocol, to look at how our data science and our information systems are working in our developmental athletes and making sure that there's no blind spots going on. 
And so while I work with our, our leadership group most often, as you say, I'm still creating space at a much lesser frequency to engage at every single level. And the beauty is on top of that, we have a high performance center, which I call home. And that high performance center has residency of our sevens national teams and our 15s and our under 20s. So any and every time that there's a national assembly of players coming together, I'm already in situ right there. And then all of that is wrapped around that I'm out in each of those provinces as best I can every four to six weeks outside of busy times of the year. So on top of that, I'm going physically face to face and I'm just in the environment and oftentimes without an agenda, just to be amongst it, to chat, to help and get stuck in on the day. So you take all of those plus any professional development we do as a group and the, the amount of touch point points directly and indirectly are abundant. Yeah, no, I mean, that's <laughs> it's very impressive how you've been able to build all of that. And, uh, you know, switching gears to what we had alluded off air, but it's it's still relevant because you talk about relationships. Um, the book, you know, how to essentially what you say to an athlete in terms of internal versus external cues. Um, you know, it, we don't need to, you know, dive into the extreme minutia, but just how important it is. Like it made me really realize like, man, what am I saying to an athlete? Am I, am I doing what Doyle used to say was strength coaching them? Like making them think too much cause you're giving them just so many things to think about. Um, how did you, like, what was the genesis of that book and how do you then preach that with your staff on how they coach the athletes that they're working with? Yeah. So it's interesting. So the language of coaching was the genesis of it goes right on back to, for me, college, where I was just, I was watching other trainers when I was still you know, cutting my teeth, trying to, trying to learn this game of how to coach people to physically develop their bodies. And by chance or choice, and I'm still not sure which one it is, I just gravitated to the fact that what seemed to separate the good coaches from uh, the, 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 the coaches that let's say were still in pursuit of good or great was what they said, was how they interacted, was how they treated the individual. Because I mean, everyone was benching on Monday. Everyone was doing buys and tries. Everyone was kind of talking about anatomy and the functional movement screen, you know, was all the craze at the time. And, you know, everyone looking at anatomy trains and super training was still actually finally being, you know, still being read by people at the time. You know what I mean? Like that was still all the stuff. Everyone was dipping their hand in the same cookie jar. But what made it different, what, what, what felt different was not what they did, not even why they did it, because they'd all give good explanations. It's how they did it. And, you know, I always joke, you know, Simon Sinek wrote Start With Why. I'd like to write the book one day, we'll finish with how. Because <laughs> the magic is in the how. The doing is in the how. The experience is in the how. The why is a spark, yes. But that flame burning, right, is in the how. And so I kind of parked that idea for a long time because I didn't know what to do with it, but I knew it was so important. And then inevitably when I got the chance to take over the NFL Combine Development Program at Exos in 2009 it was, I came face to face with my inadequacy in that department mm. in that I had the best facility, I had literally the best NFL or future NFL athletes um, at the time. And 
I'm coaching them, but I'm sitting there realizing that I'm saying 10,000 different things and I'm spraying cues across them, but they're all moving together. I'm talking while they're moving. I'm not directing it specifically. I'm not checking in to see if they heard me, let alone understood me, let alone applied it. And all of a sudden on a cold January morning in Phoenix, Arizona, I kind of felt this moment of awakening. And as odd as this sounds, I think a lot of coaches haven't realized this. And I said, I'm a variable. I actually have a direct impact on these individuals in the same way the physical program that I wrote does. And I remember at the time I'd go to coaches I respect, they say, well, how do you get better at coaching? And they're like, oh, you just do it. I'm like, but, but what is the art of coaching? Oh, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just talking to people. It's just doing it over and over again. I couldn't get a better recommendation that to get better at coaching, you just have to do it. I'm like, but hold on over here. You have all this methodology on reps and sets and exercise and structure, specificity and variability and progressive overload. You can give me all of this blueprint, but you can't give me any blueprint on how to coach better. And so I just wasn't satisfied with that. And inevitably, you go to motor learning research, skill acquisition, psychology, educational psychology, sociology, right? Communication. You go back to the old uh, you know, Carl Jung and some of the original Williams. And all of a sudden you realize, well, hold on. There is a blueprint around human behavior. There is a blueprint around communication and what kind of communication sticks versus what kind of communication is porous. Uh, how we like to take on information and be able to apply it to our movement. All this information exists, but it's wrapped up in, you know, long jargonous words and dusty old textbooks and nobody's actually taking it out of the earth and put it into a simple form that people can digest. This information needs to be processed, cleaned up and shared. And so I went to the trenches in my own work, looking at what I said, when I said it, how I said it, verbal, nonverbal. I started working with my athletes in the test lab. Hey, did you hear what I just said? No, coach. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Okay, here's this cue. I want you to think about this while you move. Okay, boom. How th That felt better. That didn't feel better. Okay, let's try this. And inevitably, one rep, one cue at a time, I made it unavoidably obvious that this dialogue was going to help this athlete become better that ultimately it was gonna shape their mind on its way to shaping their body. And that we were gonna be as disciplined in mind as we were in body with every single repetition. And not only was every single drill going to be prepared, but there was gonna be consideration, albeit with a far more flexible attitude, in how we coached those drills. And over time, PhDs and books later, I've now shared this with the world in what I feel is a flexible structure that does not provide rules, but provides principles to get you to the words that work, to flexibly allow you to engage with a person to decrease the barrier to understanding and application. I want coaches to be able to learn a pathway to communicating effectively in the same way they've learned a pathway to programming effectively. Have you had any desire or any request to do the same thing on how to do that interpersonally? Um, I, I get the question a lot around, you know, I'll have people who like sport, 
but work in business. And they read the book and they're like, wow, this whole idea of connection, meeting people where they're at, presenting information in a way that lowers the barrier to understanding an application. I see it so clearly in teaching movement. How can I use this in my one-on-one -on -one meetings, in my team meetings to get concepts across to people? And so I have had the request, but I haven't necessarily put my time into it, Justin, most notably because I believe there are a lot of really good resources out there around communication generally, interpersonal communication. Certainly, right, there's plenty on presentation skills and how to actually at a podium level convey and communicate to a broader group of individuals in a, in a monologue type of a format. And so, you know, I never endeavored out to necessarily provide a one-size-fits-all communication tool to cover all contexts with which communication takes place. Um, however, in my own work, I have started to expand what I talk about in terms of the role of interpersonal communication. And the way I talk about it is in terms of a communication landscape. And so when I talk about a communication landscape, and here I'm specifically mapping this still to coaching a client, an athlete, or a patient, there is a natural flow that goes from interpersonal communication to movement communication, such that, Justin, if you're my client, you show up. Let's say you're actually my athlete. I've been working with you for a few weeks, and let's say you've been working on your speed. You're coming back from a hamstring um, pull, and you're finally in your return to run. The first thing I'm going to do with you is just have a chat. Hey, Justin, how you feeling today? Okay, how was your weekend? It was a long weekend. Did you go to the game? Hey, how's your daughter doing? How are you feeling? Oh, you're in school. How are your studies going? Okay, what's going on? Oh, you went over to see, you know, so-and-so. How was that? We're just chatting just to get a sense of how you're doing, to connect at an individual level. Then I'm going to get into how's your body feeling? How did you sleep? Okay, if we worked on anything or asked you to work on anything in the meantime, how's that going? And so what I'm doing is I'm collecting this interpersonal um, interaction to one, just develop a relationship because I care about you, but also through that, I'm getting your emotional, physical, psychological sense of how your body has shown up today. That information is going to be very valuable to me on yeah. possibly how I run the warm-up, how I communicate with you, what kind of energy I bring. Are you kind of down? Do I need to G you up? Are you coming in hot and heavy and I just need to be nice and neutral? How am I going to balance my energy with yours? All that's being born out of the interpersonal vibe that we're creating. We're dialoguing. Once that's done, I'm going to say, okay, Justin, here's the plan today. And the plan for me is a WWH. What we're going to do, why we're going to do it, and how we're going to do it. And once we nail that WWH, I say, how, any questions? What do you think? Oh, coach, I'm ready to go. Okay, then we're into it. Right? And now I'm coaching that first activity, that first exercise, movement communication. And after I get through a bit of that, we might have a natural rest. Hey, how did that feel? What are you thinking? Okay, I want you to try this cue. Right? Or I might say, hey, I need you to do this. What do you think you can focus on to achieve that? And we're then dancing. We're going to ebb and flow from movement communication to interpersonal, movement communication to interpersonal. And while I'm not going to give a fixed timeline or a script to that, any coach who's coached can kind of see, oh, yeah. I go from kind of that general, you know, Justin as a person communication to then Justin as a player communication. And I'm vibing. Now, the final piece I'll say is how do those two pieces of information interact? The better I know Justin or Fernando, 
the better I know how to coach Justin and Fernando. And so I think of it as interpersonal communication as I'm going to the quarry. I'm going to the quarry and I'm mining it, right, for the gold, for the gems. That's your experiences. That's your preferences. That's your memories. That's your likes. That's your dislikes. And I'm then taking and refining that information and I'm going to use it when I coach you. And so I'll give you a classic example that I used from very early in my career. I was a personal trainer. I sat down with a gentleman who was going to do three sessions. I said, what's your goal? He said, my goal, I want to be my son's hero, just like his Superman poster on his wall. I was like, I was a 20, you know, 19, 20 year old young man. I'm like, whoa, that, that's heavy. I want to be my, he was like, me, me and my wife are, are separated. My son lives with my wife. He absolutely idolizes Superman. I want to be the best person I can be. And part of that's getting my body right. I want to be his Superman. And so I logged that. I didn't have the system in place, but it was a memorable moment. And so a few days later, we're in our second session. He's trying to do an RDL, a single leg RDL. And anyone who's coached knows that that single leg hip hinge is one of the more challenging movements for any human, let alone a general population to acquire. And so he's not having a great time at it. And so after one or two sets, I say, listen, on your next set from head to heel, I want you to straight up give me that long Superman position like he's flying off the building for Lois Lane. Simple, memorable, fun, might even get a chuckle. And I'll never forget, he looked at me dead serious, nods his head, grabs the dumbbells and rocks 10 reps perfectly. And his eyes are glistening, bordering on the fringe of a tear. And he says, thank you. And what I realized in that moment, only now to appreciate it as a father and being older, is I took something that was meaningful, purposeful to him, and I repurposed that for something he was trying to learn in pursuit of that meaning he wants to make in his life. And I'm not saying every single cue, right, needs to be a Hallmark film moment, but let me be real with this, every single interaction you have with a client, with a patient, with an athlete is an opportunity. It's a gem that you might be able to use because ultimately when you use those gems, you speak from their truth. You speak from their language locker. You speak from their point of view and communication is not what is said. It is what is understood. So why not use the raw material of their own understanding, their own words, their own lived experience. That's the centerpiece of what I try to convey in my own work and it's certainly in the language of coaching. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even feel honored to be continuing and asking you questions at this point. Cause it's like, it, it, there's so much power in what you said because you are right, you know, and how, how that ability to, you know, work on that human and interpersonal relationship. And I feel like, uh, you know, with COVID it took it away from everybody for a little bit, but I feel like things are now starting to get back to where it's like, you know, Hey, it's a supplement for a reason. You had to do what you had to do. Like you said, you're all over the place with the different, the four different provinces there. So, you know, logistically you just do it once a quarter. Um, but there is just something power in that ability to, as another human being, like, Hey, we're, we're in this together. Uh, and I feel like that's why, you know, any of us listening now, or even on this call, you had that relationship with a coach that did that for you and found a way to connect with you. And that's why, um, we're in this service industry. I mean, let's call it what it is, right? I'll say this, and I, I don't think there'll be a person listening that disagrees. You, you never remember what someone said to you or what they did outside of those real big pinnacle bumper sticker moments. 
but you remember how they made you feel. And what we're talking about right now is the essence of how you make someone seen, heard, and ultimately feel special, feel like they matter. And that's the approach I take. And it doesn't matter if I'm talking to my boss, I'm talking to a colleague, I'm talking to someone who reports into me or an athlete. I want them to feel like they have my attention, that they are feeling seen and they are heard, and we are truly here for the common good of helping them succeed in the pursuit of their goals. And right, that sounds like some kind of Instagram, Twitter post, because it probably is at nauseum, but it doesn't take away the truth of the matter. What would be your piece of advice for any of our younger listeners out there that are either in job one, they're in their graduate assistant, they're in an internship, um, or maybe it's their first, you know, big time gig. What would be your piece of advice after, you know, being around the block for as long as you have? Fall in love with the struggle. Fall in love with the struggle. Fall in love with the tension. The tension of being anxious that, hey, can I do this job? The, the tension of not being patient and wanting to go faster. The tension of feeling like everyone around me knows more than me, right? The, the discomfort of realizing that your ego might be a little bit too big in this moment. Fall in love with the struggle. Fall in love with the process. Understand that nothing worth achieving is easy because if it's easy, no one cares about achieving it. And again, this sounds like a bumper sticker and people used to tell me this when I was younger and I would shake it off, but now I live it and I believe it. If I feel a level of tension, if I feel a level of struggle, I know that's where the magic happens. And so another way to put it is just keep going. Don't stop, right? And if you don't stop, you're gonna find tension in yourself. You're gonna find struggle outside of yourself. And if you can fall in love with that, if that can become one with who you are, your relationship with it changes and all you see is growth. How can people work on that tension and that in themselves because like you said that's where the growth happens like what are some of your best practices that you've done to be at the level that you're at and then how would you recommend others do the same thing or hey don't do this but do this strip it of all words strip it of all labels strip it of all judgment strip it of all perception and let it freaking be just notice how you feel and let that just sit there. Notice it the way I can notice this coffee cup sitting on my table. Because it's when we start to take the tension and the struggle in our body and we give it a label, oh, I'm not good enough, right? We start to judge it, oh, it's that person's fault, right? That's when we start to get in our own way. If we can just say, you know what? That meeting made me feel uncomfortable. Let me notice that, okay? Why did it make me uncomfortable? Okay, what can I get better at that meeting? Right? Just learning to use the tension, to use the struggle as a signal to sharpen your awareness, to sharpen your intuition, to sharpen how skillful you are in your decision making and how you navigate a given scenario. That for me is what living with the tension, uh, falling in love with the struggle means. There is no blueprint here. Um, this, is the, this is the essence of something that I study at a, at a personal level call it spirituality in terms of Eastern philosophy. You know, whether you look to Zen Buddhism or Taoism or, or Indian Buddhism or Hinduism, all of these areas that I look at from a philosophical level, talk about acceptance, talk, talk about falling in love with the struggle, talk about the wordless world and just learning to be with what is. And so often we get in our own way 
and it doesn't allow us to access the reality that is. And only in the reality that is, is there truth in your growth. And for me, if someone's listening and saying, I don't get that, I'm not ready for that, you know what, that's okay. Stick with the struggle and you'll find it in your own way one day. <clears throat> There's no better place to, to leave off than here. Um, for any of our listeners out there that want to you know, learn more about you or kind of you know, continue to follow the quest with the, with the rugby team as you go through the, the World Cup, where can they follow you? Yeah, so anything for, for work-wise is at Irish Rugby. Become a fan of us, right? We're looking for as many as we can. For me personally, it's at Nick Winkleman on Instagram or Twitter. I'm, I'm kind of in book writing mode, so I'm not very active. But, mm. you know, from time to time, I will try to put things out there that are of value. And if people want to learn more about the book uh, and what is exclusively just free resources I've generated, it's thelanguageofcoaching.com. Yeah, highly recommend the book. Um, like, like I said, we read it as a staff, um, had a, a staff member present on it. Uh, are you allowed to tease out some alpha as to what the new book you're writing is, or are you going to keep that? Yeah. You can keep it hidden if you want, but. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, um, I've been fortunate that my publisher, Human Kinetics, is now endorsing uh, the, the first of what hopefully will be a book series. Um, so the language of coaching four series, if you will, and we're starting off with baseball and the hope is that we start contextualizing, um, the language of coaching concepts to one sport, uh, at, at a time. And so I'm, uh, I'm working on that with a pretty tight deadline. Um, some great co-authors <laughs> from major league baseball. So that that's currently, um, in the midst. I'm actually working on a fiction book as well. That is uh, fable based, uh, back uh, actually based in a Viking community. That is meant to bring kind of the some of my my principles of teaching, of coaching, of life and learning um, to life. And so uh, I, I hope to have a fiction book out in the next year or so as well. That's awesome. Um, best of luck. Like you're you're clearly a man uh, juggling multiple tasks. So uh, best of luck with you and everything. And again, coach, thank you for your time today. Thank you both. All the best. Congratulations on making it to the end of the video. Why don't you celebrate by watching more videos just like it? You can also help us on our quest to placate the algorithm gods by liking, sharing, subscribing, and commenting. Thank you.